White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow, Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead. There goes number 400 for Big Brad Burns. takes a perfect game. His second no-hitter. You can't put it on the board. Yeah. Can it go? Grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson. This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked On Socks. I am Herb Lawrence. That is Chris Tannehill. We are your host. Follow us on Twitter at EctorWall23 for myself, at Chris Tannehill. And the show is at Locked On Socks. And we do a special email or a, yeah email show, so Mailbag Monday. It is at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com if you want to send us a note. Hello, Christopher, for episode number 32. Hi, Herb. How are we doing tonight? That mailbag, it's, it runneth over this week. I think we're going to have plenty of material. Already people are sending in their submissions early. We like that. Yes, it was very surprising though, how many people early in the week sending us notes. They've been listening to Mailbag Monday, and they want their questions to be answered on that special episode. So if you want to get your questions in, uh, lockedonsocks at gmail.com. Questions about the socks, questions about us, suggestions, any of those things, we'll be answering them on this upcoming Monday and every Monday subsequently. And I, yeah, and I will be giving uh, unprepared medical advice on coronavirus. So if you have any questions about that, I'll, I'll give you my opinion. Uh, I am not a doctor nor uh, have I experienced coronavirus, but I will try my best to diagnose you through email. And, uh, you know, you can take that as gospel because I, I'm basically unlicensed, but practicing. So uh, number 32 tonight, Herbie, what do we got for episode 32? I mean, I have a person I have in mind. I don't think you're going to have the same person. Can we three, two, one it? I think that's how we do it now. All right. Three, Two, one. Alex Steve Fernandez. Stone. Oh, Stone Pony. Uh, okay. You were going. You were going the guy that I had second, but yeah, I think that Alex Fernandez. If you're just going player, yeah, I would say that Alex Fernandez deserves the 32 a little bit more, um, especially when with their careers as White Sox players. But I go with the contribution that Steve Stone has given in his post career of playing career of being a good White Sox broadcaster, both on the radio and on the television as of now. That's a but good that's a, case for Alex Fernandez, especially. I can't make a case for Steve Stone as the player of the White Sox because I don't think he was that great until he got to Baltimore. <laughs> right, yeah, and plus neither of us saw him play at all, so that kind of uh, takes a big part of it out of the equation. But it, it will give me an opportunity to uh, to remember the time when Hawk was talking about Ted Williams and uh, and Japanese pitchers, that's one of my all-time favorite Steve Stone moments right here. You know, I asked the great Ted Williams about guys. Of course, they didn't have Asian pitchers back in those days here, but they had guys with some unusual well, they, motions. They had them, but they were in Japan. Yeah. So, But, yeah, Alex Fernandez, right? So Alex Fernandez... We talked about Jack McDowell being the ace of the 93 Sox staff. You know, they, of course, won the 93 
AL West title, the division title. Alex Fernandez drafted fourth overall by the Sox in 1990. That's the uh, tip, the uh, Chipper Jones draft. So pretty good, pretty top-heavy draft. But Alex Fernandez, I think he was the uh, Golden Spikes Award winner for uh, 1990. So Larry Himes had a pretty good run here. He, you know, he was uh, – Charged, you know, charged with bringing uh, the the team back up to snuff after Hawk Harrelson's GM tenure. So all he does is, is go out and draft Robin Ventura, Jack McDowell, Alex Fernandez, Frank Thomas. So it's not not a bad not a bad uh, stint for Larry Himes as GM. So Alex Fern- fired like right after that, right? Oh yeah, get out of here with all that excellence, <laughs> Ron, Ron Schuler time. <laughs> yeah, we can't have that. So Alex Fernandez, I remember watching him pitch a lot back in the day. I remember him most of all that '93 ALCS against uh, the hated Blue Jays. I'll, I'll, I'll never, never uh, have any love for the Blue Jays in my life after witnessing that as a ten-year-old child breaking my heart in that fashion. Um, so Alex Fernandez had the unlucky task of going up against one of the best big game pitchers uh, of our lifetime, and that's Dave Stewart. He went up against mm. Dave Stewart twice in the '93 ALCS. Once in Game Two. Uh, where the Sox lost three to one, um, and then they lost, I believe, six to one in Game Six. I was there as the Blue Jays celebrated on Comiskey Park's field, but it wasn't because of Alex Fernandez. It wasn't his fault they lost because he had a, a one eight zero ERA in the ninety three ALCS. One of those things that kind of goes by the wayside. You know, really they stopped hitting, and the Toronto bullpen was too much for the Sox. And of course, they were just loaded, man. That was that was back to back. World Series champions right there, the Blue Jays. Um, but his best year, oddly enough, 1996, where he was a free agent. So he, it's in his free agent walk year. And we already talked about how Jerry Reinsdorf was of the school of not paying your your established pitching talent, just letting them mm-hmm. walk. Uh, this guy was one of those prime examples of having his best year in a walk year. He signs with the Marlins in 97. Of course, they win the World Series. But I remember as a kid watching the Marlins. I don't know if you were like this. You're a couple of years older than me, so you're probably not really the same for you. But back then, when the Marlins and Rockies came in the league, it was like when, when you're young, anything that's new is the shit, right? So you're going to go buy. I bought a Marlins hat because it was cool. You know what I mean? Like they had like the whatever that is, the, the turquoise. Yeah, the, the teal hats. The I teal, had yeah. The big, uh, with the big Marlin and on the F and on the F. Yeah, that's like when you start to you know form your own identity as a kid and start to rock stuff that you think is cool. So I was big time heavily invested in the Marlins. The Sox were were not particularly good that year. So Alex Fernandez signs with the Marlins, right? And then his first appearance back in Chicago was against the Cubs at Wrigley, and he pitched a near no hitter against the Cubs. He he's I think he went eight and a third no hit innings at Wrigley Field. It would have been the first time that anyone pitched a no hitter against the Cubs in Wrigley since like Sandy Koufax or something but uh, I just remember him being great with the Sox and still staying good after that but uh, sadly he uh, was hurt during the 97 World Series where I was really would have been rooting for him against the uh, even more hated Cleveland Indians he did not get a chance to pitch in that World Series but Alex Fernandez a World Series champion uh, but I think Looking back on his career, I think his greatest accomplishment would be being the finest Latin cold weather pitcher, according to Hawk Harrelson. Alex Fernandez, boy, I'll tell you what, if it was 50 degrees and below, you could just send it to Cooperstown. He was going to win. He was the best Latin cold weather pitcher I ever saw. Herbie, the worst Latin cold weather pitcher you ever saw. Would that be Javi Vasquez? Yes, I'll tell you what. Javi had all these pitches. 
Didn't know you how to use three of them. Oh no, Javi's coming up too, isn't he? Episode thirty three is right around the corner. Uh, uh, let's just uh, skip that it. That was cast. He's not going to make it. <laughs> I, uh, spoiler alert, guys. Javi Vasquez is not going to make it to this episode. So Alex Fernandez, I think, yeah, you have made a great case for him. He sadly uh, proved, and Jack McDowell proved Jerry Reinsdorf's theory is right because he did spend four years as a Florida Marlin. Three of them playing. One year he was totally out of the yeah. uh, the league. Did not pitch at all. And then never pitched after his year thirty, um, yeah. Year back so then he pitched only uh, 97, 99, and two thousand. That was it. We talked about Lamar Hoyt last episode and his shoulder problems. Alex Fernandez, another guy with shoulder issues. Like back then, it was like if you got shoulder problems, there was there was no coming back from that. Like it, you you were pretty much done. So you know, not the case so much anymore. Uh, the number one statistical comp, by the way, uh, Alex Fernandez is Jake Arrieta. So if you want to get kind of a a picture for all you younger listeners. Uh, if you want to know what Alex Fernandez was like, Jake Arrieta is his number one cop. So he was filthy. Like he did something that they would never do nowadays. Drafted in 1990, pitched in the minors eight games, and uh, came up immediately and pitched in the majors for 13 starts. That would never happen nowadays. Exactly. And he, bar- he barely pitched in the minors his whole career. He pitched, I think it says, 12 starts total. Like, uh, I think 92, it looks like a rehab starts in in the minors and he dominated, but pretty much he was a major league player and that was pretty much it. Well, hopefully, uh, the guy that we saw on the mound on Tuesday afternoon is going to be, uh, our, our next Jake Arrieta next to Alex Fernandez. And that would be Michael Kopech. Kopech's back, Herbie. How exciting. Oh my goodness. The guy is, looks the same, looks the exact same pitching profile. Heater sitting at 100, not just like getting up to 100, sitting at 100. Just zzz. they couldn't touch it. I mean, that Greg Bird pitch where he's throwing 101 on the black on the outside corner, that's not fair to the pitcher, to the hitter, especially when you have three more pitches that you can uh, deal with. He threw his fastball, I think he threw his slider, and I think he threw his, cha- uh, his curveball. Left the changeup in the in the back pocket and saving it for next time. But the eleven pitches that he did throw, mercy. Yeah, uh, good. Uh, according to Scott Merkin, uh, the Camelback scoreboard, if it's to be believed, Kopech went like this: 100, 101, 100, 101, 82, 101, 98, 81, 90, 89. And 101. Uh, after the game, Kopech said he was a little geeked up trying to overthrow, and we could tell early he wasn't throwing, uh, getting ahead of the count. He wasn't throwing strikes early, but he rebounded very quickly and started getting pitches over. It was pretty much it, it was over before it, it really started. I mean, it was it was a quick one, two, three inning. Got two ground balls to the second base. Got that third strikeout to Greg Bird, like you just mentioned. But it was just great to see Kopech on the mound for the first time. Since 2018, that fastball uh, for that third out was just was just amazing. And he did say after the game, he talked about a couple things. He talked about how he did alter that delivery a little bit. Uh, if so, there's one thing you know he kept on talking about over the off season. I'm gonna have a chance to be a more refined pitcher. I'm gonna work on being a pitcher, not just a thrower. But apparently, he did tighten up some things with that delivery. I don't know if you noticed that. I did. It's just a, a quick rocker step to pitch. He said after the game that he'll pretty much have the same exact uh, delivery when he does have a batter that's on base. So except for the, the quick rocker step, he'll just come set and go forward. So it's simple. 
it looks like it gets in his mechanics a little easier. And if he feels a little comfortable doing it, more power to him because he's the one that has to throw the pitches. He knows his body, and this year, two years off, hopefully got him in tune to what his body is and knows exactly where he needs to be as far as arm slot uh, and throwing the pitches that he needs to throw. And having his guy back there, Yasmani Grandel, does not hurt at all. Exactly, and he talked about throwing to Yasmani after the game, and it's just going to be one of those things where when you have a young staff, the the signing of Yasmani Grandal is just going to pay dividends over and over again this season because you have a young staff, especially a guy just coming off of Tommy John surgery. He's he's looking, you know, to be comfortable back there. He's looking to have a guy who knows how to handle him. And this is what Kopech said after the game about throwing to Yasmani Grandal. You know, he's like butter back there, so it's pretty easy to throw to a guy like that. He was like butter, Herbie. Like butter. Like butter. butter. Like butter. Absolute butter. So I loved hearing that. But again, I just can't wait to see what Kopech's going to do. I think ultimately it's going to be a disappointing season from our perspective, from the fans' perspective, because he's going to be on that innings limit. I have no idea how they're going to handle it so he can pitch in games of consequence. But as we know... From years past, just because you're pitching a a game that's not necessarily a playoff game or a play-in game, down the stretch, there are plenty of games of consequence when every game matters uh, in a 162-game season. That's correct. I just want him to be ramping up to a major league uh, uh, amount of games. I don't know how many is the innings limit, but like we said on this podcast a couple times, I would rather those pitches be on the major league level because those minor leaguers, those pitches will matter no matter. I mean, they'll be on his arm no matter what. And if we're going to be having good Michael, I'm going to be having him at a limit of 150, 120, whatever it's going to be this year. I don't want to waste any at AAA. Those guys don't deserve that. They can't hit it. So, damn it. Bring them up here. Bring them out of the bullpen if you need be. Start them as, as an opener and then have some other starter like Ronaldo Lopez finished that game off. I just, uh, I know that they're taking it slow, and I understand that they don't want to overexert them and put them in too much of a high-pressure situation, and they can get a year back from um, his service time if they do keep him down for a certain amount of time. I understood all that stuff, but that, that, that only got me more hyped for seeing him. If that guy shows up that guy that we saw yesterday shows up in a major league baseball field mercy he's what our second best pitcher if not our best i i think so and you know you talk about the excitement when he's out there it just seems different i was there i was there for the first michael kopech start with the white Sox. it's just a different energy like there you know there's a lot of great pitchers out there but not a lot of them have that just that it factor that that ace thing that number one pitching prospect you know anchor of a starting rotation thing where he steps out on the mound and he just he, he exudes confidence and everyone around him seems calmer because he's out there I mean the, the kid's so young but he already has that it factor that you can't really teach so I think this is like the most hyped I was for a spring training game since uh or a game that doesn't count anyway since Michael Jordan and the Crosstown Classic back in the day I mean how can you not be this guy is the talk of spring if it wasn't for Jeremy Mercedes hitting all these home runs I think he would be the 100% talk of spring that's 
I stopped what I was doing to watch those 11 pitches. I knew that I was excited to see what he has, to see if he was at like 95. I would have been, man, all right, man, he's working his way back. But to see him at 101 is ridiculous at this point of his rehab. The guy can pitch in the majors right now. They're not going to do it, but I'm, I'm jacked. I'm hyped. I think the best news of all, other than the results, because I think we were just looking forward to seeing him just get out there and compete and just – just taking the mound was going to be a victory uh, if, if if you're Michael Kopech. But uh, by all accounts, the day after is when, you know, you, you start to get the the reports of how do you feel, you know, what does the arm feel like? And, and I guess no news is good news as far as Michael Kopech goes because I haven't heard anything today, at least as far as uh, any negative setbacks. Have you? I mean. No, I haven't. The game got rained out, so. Uh, I don't know if they had access to him in the clubhouse, but yes, the, I've heard no reports either negative or positive. So like you said, no news is good news in that Michael Kopech front. You mentioned uh, the other guy we're going to talk about tonight. It's just this that we're going to wrap it up by talking about your guy, everyone's guy, really. I mean, no one can claim you're mean, I, I don't think, but you're mean Mercedes. So in Monday's game, Sox trailing the Reds 3-2. to two. Everyone in Glendale's sad. They're gonna go home and they're they're gonna they're gonna see the Sox lose, but not so fast. Bottom of the ninth, your mean Mercedes comes up. Allow me to introduce you to my CL Mercedes. Long drive, deep to left center. It's way, way, way back, and this game is tied. And Mercedes has tied it up when the Sox were down to their final strike. Your mean just doing that your mean thing again, where he comes up in a big spot in the ball game late. And just crushes one uh, into left center field. This kid is undeniable so far at, at this point. I, I don't see any way he's left off that roster. No way in hell. I mean, I know that Zach Collins is doing good stuff too. But every single time you turn your attention to a spring training game sans Michael Kopech, it's because of your mean Mercedes is doing something on the field. He's hitting the ball with authority. And I know people out there saying, who's he hitting against? It doesn't matter. He's doing it. He's Every time that he's shown to be up there versus a pitcher, pretty much he's coming through. Four home runs on the spring so far. This is what his role will be when he gets in the majors. Most of these home runs are late-inning home runs coming off the bench replacing somebody. This is what his role is going to be in the, in the majors, probably replacing Nomar Mazar in a late-at-bat probably not going out to right field because I don't know if I want to see that, but he's bat only 26 man, and I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that uh, and gives Zach Collins a chance to go back to AAA and do some everyday catching. But this is exciting to have a guy that brings that type of attitude to the table because his personality is very infectious. And every time he does hit a home run, see you in Chicago. See yes, in Chicago. Yeah, See in Chicago. <laughs> I love My that. Rants. I love that when you talk about the personality. I was just going to mention that you're mean on Twitter. You know, uh, quote tweeting his own home run video. Say, see you soon, Chicago. I love it. I don't. I, I don't think there's any way that that he doesn't make the roster at this point. Which we're going to talk a lot about the roster in the next episode, episode 33 of Locked On White Sox. That wraps up this edition of Locked On White Sox. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On MLB. They've got all your MLB big stories covered. Even when the White Sox make some news, they're talking about them as well. Lots of great MLB content there. That's, again, Locked On MLB. 
Have a great day. Talk to you guys later on this week.